This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 69 of a Clean Skate podcast, the Dallas Stars podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And you will notice that this is episode 69, but you're like, well wait, the last Monday episode just came out was episode 67. And yes, that is because, and I hope you guys didn't miss it, but episode 68 came out this midweek, I believe this Wednesday. And that is because, you guys will remember, in last Monday's episode, I was not able to get the interview with Brad Brood from the Flames Unfiltered podcast in there because some technical difficulties. However, I was able to get the interview out and to you guys, so you guys were able to hear a really cool perspective. And I think the way the Flames fans are feeling right now on that whole situation after the Dallas Stars knocked them off 4-2 to two in that series win. And then the Dallas Stars would go on to win game one of the opener of the second round Dallas versus Colorado series. And we move on to game two, which will be the first game we will talk about on this episode. We see Anton Hudobin versus Pavel Francis in this one, because if you remember, in game one, Grubauer went down with an injury. He will most likely, from what it seems like, be out for the rest of this series. So we'll really get to see if Fransuz has what it takes. And so far, Hudobin got the best of him in game one. He looked a little shaky. And in game two, uh, the Avalanche get out to a early lead. It is the usual suspects for them. Nathan McKinnon scores a power play goal. We cannot take penalties against this team. They will bury us in that category. Six minutes and eight seconds into the first period. It's a really good keep-in at the line by McCarr. It then it's a give-and-go with McKinnon and Rantanen. He gets a one-timer from the slot, blasts it over the shoulder of Hudobin for a one-nothing lead. And the stars get absolutely caved in in this first period. The shots at the end of the first period are 20-6. to six. Anton Hudobin making 19 saves in that first period. He was key because if without him, this game could have easily been out of hand and away from us from the first period. The stars cannot rely on Hudobin to do that every game or every period. So they needed to come out in the second period flying. And unfortunately... Again, the big boys off the bat on the power play. Miko Rantanen scores early in the second period. It's a good play from Landeskog down low to McKinnon. He spins off of Sekera. Just amazing skating from McKinnon. He feeds it up to Rantanen, who snipes it off the far post and in past Hudobin. But the Stars then get a chance to answer right back with a power play of their own. And on that power play, the Avalanche take another penalty. And the Stars have a long five-on-three. And right off the bat, Joe Pavelski scores his seventh of the playoffs on the power play. Halfway through the second period, it's Sagan down low to Radulov. He sends a perfect seam pass over to Pavelski. They really like to find that backdoor pass. He's open for that one-timer, and he puts it past Fransus to make it a 2-1 game. Then the second unit comes out to finish the rest of the power play that just happened. 
and Roddick Fox's scores just 42 seconds later, only his second of this postseason. Gurianov just puts a shot on net, and then there's three stars down low with between Perry, Foxa, and Hintz just down there banging and whacking, and finally Faxa is able to smash it home, and these stars are able to tie it up on their five-on-three power play. The stars then just continue to take penalties against this team and are managed to kill off their own five-on-three, a huge penalty kill. That was really big. Again, we do not want to get into a special teams battle with the Colorado Avalanche. But the boys seem to get a lot of momentum off that five-on-three kill. And then a really weird goal with just four minutes and 20 seconds second, seconds left in the second period. Jamie Ben just spins and throws a puck to the front of the net that goes off of the avalanche defenseman's stick, hits Radulov in the collarbone, and then just lobs up and over, gingerly over Francis, who has no idea where the puck went. And it is in to give the Stars a 3-2 to two lead. Then, with just 45 0.2 seconds left in the second period. Esselindel right at the end of another successful penalty kill for the Stars. Donskoy fumbles the puck at the blue line. Lindell hurries up the ice, brushes off Donskoy, who's trying to get back in the play after he bobbles it. It's a two-on-one with Yanmark, but he doesn't look at Yanmark once. He puts the puck on Francis, who doesn't really know where the puck is. He spins over. The puck is loose, and he's banging and whacking in it. It goes. There's a really long goal review for this one, but the puck does completely cross the goal line, and the Stars take a 4-2 lead going into the third period. The shots are 31-24 to after two periods. The game does even out in the third period. Uh, there's less chances up and down the ice but the stars still do get outshot in the third period and at times in the third period it seemed the stars were just happy to clear the puck up and off the glass and out and defend and Hudobin was incredible and then eventually Jamie Alexiak would ice this game with an empty netter from his far blue line with just 10 seconds left the final in this one the shots are 27 to 40 for the avalanche the stars go two for three on their power play and six for eight on their penalty kill and that is huge we managed to win the special teams battle in this one but eight penalties in this game is not something that we want to see continue because it will eventually bite us against this really potent offense of the colorado avalanche but the stars take a two to nothing series lead in this one that is huge we just need two more wins and we're through on this one all right I'm not saying, like, listen, I don't expect this is going to be a sweep. The star, the Avalanche are too strong of a team. I fully expect for them to come back in this one. And that leads us directly into Game 3. Same starters, just as usual, but the Ben Sagan and Radulov line that's looked good and has been, you know, the, the catalyst so far in the first two games looked strong early, and they get us on the board first, finally. Sagan scores his second of the playoffs, just 8.48 left in the first period. Heiskanen throws a great pass down low to Jamie Benn, who spins and throws it around in front of the net to Sagan, who shovels it home. But unfortunately, it seems that turnovers in the neutral zone throughout this first period are feeding into the counterattack of the Avalanche. But the Stars manage to hang on to a 1-0 lead heading into the second period. The shots are 12-10 for the Avalanche after the first period. Unfortunately, just a minute into the second period, Nikita Zadorov scores his second of the postseason off a clean faceoff win in the 
offensive zone for the Avalanche. He then just slams a one-timer. It's a knuckle puck, beats Hudobin, and it's 1-1. Burkowski would score just three minutes and 41 seconds later, his fourth of the playoffs. It's a really good high zone cycle, which we know the Avalanche like to do up to Burkowski, and that high zone cycle leaves Burkowski completely alone in the slot. He snipes it high glove side through traffic past Hudobin, and then with just nine minutes left in the second, we see here the Stars had a huge second period in game two, and now the Avalanche have a huge second period in game three. Landis Cog scores his second of the playoffs. Makar shakes the defender at the blue line, drives down low. It's a bad handoff of the man from Dickinson to Lindell. He beats, gets beat to the net. The rebound comes out, and Landeskog goes hard to the net and beats Hudobin to give the Avalanche the 3-1 lead. The shots are 25-21 for the Avalanche after the second period. The Stars get off to a strong start on an early power play, and just as that early power play expires, Denis Gurionov scores his seventh of the postseason. It is a great pass from Hintz over to Gurionov, and we know he likes to wind up and takes that one-timer, and he blasts it past Francis to pull us to within one. And then just 9-0-2 through the third period, Blake Como would score his second of the playoffs. It's a great dump-in forecheck by the fourth line. We've seen them been doing that all playoffs long, and they've been especially effective in this series against the Avalanche so far. We see, you know, Cogliano in there with his speed, just mucking it up, and it comes to Como in the slot. He fires a one-timer home through Ferencos. And listen, we know we can beat him. Listen, he's made some good saves. Like, listen, I'm not saying he's played bad. But he's not that hard of a goalie to beat. We know we can put pucks through him and at him. And we just got to keep doing that because I, I'm i pretty sure Hudobin can out-goalie duel this guy. We just got to keep putting pucks at him. And that would tie us. Then, just a minute and 41 seconds later, Jamie Benn would score his third of the playoffs with a clean face-off win from Ben back to Lindell, who throws a shot on net. It is tipped by Ben and all of a sudden, in the third period, the Stars, another third period comeback, are, are up in this one 4-3. to three. But the good times don't last. Just a minute, 15 seconds later, Miko Rantanen scores his fifth. Heiskanen is just trying to lug the puck up and out of his zone like he loves to do, skates it out. He blows a tire right at his own blue line. The puck is picked off by Rantanen and McKinnon for a two-on-one. McKinnon throws a pass over to Rantanen, who one times it past Hudobin to tie the game at four. And then just six minutes and six seconds left in the third period, Nazem Kadri with another tip in front of Hudobin. It's an easy D-to-D pass, just a shot on and Kadri tips it and that's just some way sometimes the way it goes Hudobin that you can't blame Hudobin for a, a really good tip from Kadri and Belmar would ice it with a minute and 34 seconds left Heiskanen would get cross-checked on a pretty dirty play by Rantanen that seemed to have Heiskanen shaken up I think he should be okay and he should be good to go for game four but the Stars are unable to finish this one strong with the lead they had, and they lose this one 6-4. to The final shots are 37-32 to for the Stars. They go 0-3 on the power play and 3-3 for on the penalty kill. So again, we pull even with them on their special teams, but we just aren't able to hold on to that last lead with just an unlucky tip in front. But I expect a really strong Game 4 from the Stars, and hopefully we can take a stranglehold on this series with a 2-1 to series lead. 
However, unfortunately, due to the shooting of Jacob Blake by the police this week, the NHL decided to step aside to allow time for this movement and change to take place and for everyone to hear it and understand it and understand that it is bigger than sports and that games will resume today on Saturday when I am recording this. And unfortunately, due to my work schedule, I will be watching the Stars game from work so I figured I would record this a little early so I will not have be talking about game four this episode I'll be talking about game four this next Monday's episode so next episode but while we have this break I thought that it would be really cool to have um, a different perspective on hockey and step away from the NHL bubble a little bit so I would now like to get us over to this week's interview with a very special guest, a first-time guest, in fact, so I hope you guys enjoy. I'm James. And I'm Andy. And we host the Broadway Boys Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Every Monday, we talk New York Rangers, news from around the league, and all aspects of the hockey lifestyle. It's a power play goal! It's never been a better time to be a Rangers fan. So tune in and join us as we break down games, prospects, rumors, and more as we follow the Blue Shirts on their quest towards the Stanley Cup. Our takes are all our own. And not always legally binding. But you're not going to want to miss all the guests, rants, speculation, and the occasional overreaction. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Boys Pod and catch new episodes every Monday morning on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and more. And this one will last a lifetime. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe, follow, and listen to the Broadway Boys Podcast today. And be sure to check out all the exciting content on the Hockey Podcast Network. Oh, baby! All right, and this week, with the games going on pause for a little bit, I figured we'd take a step out of the NHL bubble and all the way across the pond to our friend Hayden Carpenter. He is the host of the brand-new Europuck podcast and one of the hosts of the Brits on Bruins podcast here at the Hockey Podcast Network. So welcome to a Clean Skate podcast, Hayden. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's nice to join another one of the podcasts on the network. I've been on a couple of them, but yeah, that was a long time ago, way before the current situation. So yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it seems like time right now was split to, you know, the, the before time and this new world <laughs> yeah. we live in now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like like my co-host and I on the, on the Bruins show, we keep talking about like all oh, the before times back when the Bruins were President's Trophy winners and we were top of the league and beating all the teams across the NHL and now they're they're not doing too good against Tampa so <laughs> exactly so obviously I mean it seems like you're keeping up with things uh in in the NHL bubble you're, you're staying on even being across across the sea there uh what yeah, what, are, what are you seeing in the in the playoffs so far what are your thoughts on it so obviously it's a very unique situation with the playoffs this year obviously no fans in attendance the players are in the bubble there's obviously looking at all the the social um, changes, I'll, I'll term it, that are going on across the pond at the moment, which has obviously impacted uh, not just the NHL, but prof- professional sports in general over the last couple of days. Um, obviously, me being here in the UK and England, I'm kind of seeing it from a distance and getting a lot of the sort of raw fan reaction, both to 
the playoffs as it is and, and to everything else that's going on. I think the NHL have done a really good job in terms of like specifically talking about the playoffs. I think they've done a really good job of getting all of the players in the bubble, getting them in a position where they can compete for the Stanley Cup, and they're doing it in probably the safest manner they could do. Obviously, we've heard the horror stories from the MLB. There's been no, no end of cases there. Um, the NFL's wanting to start up soon or that they've got plans for their season coming up soon. So they're obviously like wanting to make sure everything's set in stone and everything's as safe as possible. We've got the NBA playing as well. They're doing obviously the same bubble idea as the NHL. I, I must admit, seeing no fans in attendance was a very jarring experience the first time I saw it with the exhibition games. Sort of having the entire you know, Scotiabank Arena empty and void of, of people other than like medical trainers and everything. That was a, a really kind of, oh, so this is what hockey's going to look like for the next two and a half, three months. But, you know, it's one of those things that the more you watch, the, the easier it is to forget about. And I think there's, there was a lot of talk, obviously, with the crowd noises and a lot of discussion about whether um, that they should have crowd noises and, and all of the screens they've put up and all of the, the pregame intros and things. I, I think they've done a good job. I think given the circumstances and given the fact that there's so many other things going on around the world, not just when they entered the bubble, but what's been happening since the bubble. It's been, you've got to give credit to the NHL and the fact that they've had all of their teams in the bubble and not a single person has been tested positive for the coronavirus since they entered the bubble. That is such an impressive achievement. The fact that all the players are taking it incredibly seriously, all of the officials and the, and the team um, or everybody on every member of each team, whether it be the equipment staff, all the, the players, all the people coming in and out of the bubble every day, everybody's taking it really seriously. And it means we're getting to see as good, as good a playoff hockey as we can get given the circumstances, you know? I think, I think one of the reasons hockey, and this is just purely a theory on my part, but one of the reasons hockey is maintained to, you know, have those zero COVID uh, test positives and you see with like you know the soccer right now that there's players they I, like Pogba for Man United just uh this last week tested positive so like mm. y right and then like you got all the stuff that's happening in the NBA and, and stuff like that with players testing positive I feel like the NHL I don't know they're a bunch of like good old boys they're like they're not gonna break <laughs> the rules like I don't know even the superstar they don't have that that prima donna like the need to hang out and party and stuff like that so I think that they take it a lot more seriously whereas like I feel like with like the NBA and soccer that there's a little bit more I don't know kind of like drama and like superstardom to it and they feel like they can they need to live that lifestyle differently to hockey what, what would you say? I think I completely agree with you. And the one like word I had when you were mentioning the NBA and like soccer and football or whatever, egos. The egos yeah. are far bigger uh, in those sports because obviously the NHL, the superstars in the NHL make a lot of money. But compared to the LeBron Jameses or the Lionel Messis of the of the world, it's it's kind of pocket change to them and the Cristiano Ronaldo's and everybody like that. So. Yeah, obviously there's different circumstances with um, uh, football over here. They're not necessarily playing it in a bubble, but the NBA is. So that's kind of the best direct comparison. I, I think I, I agree definitely that the hockey players are kind of a lot more, they're a lot more like they know that they need to take their lumps and kind of stay in the bubble because at the end of the day, they have the opportunity to win the greatest trophy in sports. They get to win the Stanley Cup, which I mean, if I was a hockey player, which I'm not, and I got the opportunity and Gary Bettman came up to me and said, look, if you just do this, and make sure you don't test positive, 
you could potentially lift the Stanley Cup for maybe the first and only time in your career at the end of it, I'll take that in a heartbeat, you know? Yeah. So, obviously, you are one of the hosts of the Brits on Bruins podcast, so you have a, a special affinity for the Bruins in this, uh, this playoff. But is there any other storylines, any other teams that are sticking out to you or you're following closely? Well, I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning are doing a great job, aren't they? I mean, they, they had a bit of a, a shaky start with the five-overtime game against the Columbus Blue Jackets to, like, kick off the playoffs. The first game of the playoffs goes to five, fifth overtime. Like, of course, that's the way the NHL works, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, there, there's a couple of really strong teams. Vegas looks pretty good this year. Um, obviously, they've looked pretty good since they entered the NHL. Um, that, that could be a completely different discussion on kind of the expansion rules and, oh, should they be this good? I, I think considering the situation they were put in, they may, they've made the best of it and nobody's expected them to do this well this early on in their history. So fair play to them is what I say. Um, I mean, speaking of, of the Dallas Stars, I mean, going 2-1 up in the series over the Colorado Avalanche, like I, I would be completely honest to say I did not expect that to happen. That and, I, and I think... That seems, go, go to be, that seems to be the theme for most people I talk to. Yeah. It seems that everyone, when they were drawing up their playoff brackets, and I've said this a lot on, on this podcast and on other people's podcasts, when people were drawing up their playoff brackets, it seems like everyone I talked to had Colorado over Dallas. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, don't get me wrong, I I'm, was never expecting the Avalanche to sweep the Stars. Like I, I think if anybody thought that, I think they're being a little bit too naive or they're like a diehard Avalanche fan. But... I think, obviously, the Stars have always, for the last sort of five, especially five years, uh, very much with the Sagan and Ben era of the Dallas Stars, it's very much been like they've been a talented team and they've got like the offensive scoring capabilities, but they never have it when it matters most. And in those key games, in those clutch situations, they just can't seem to find it. The, the best comparison I can draw is to somebody like Johnny Gaudreau with the Calgary Flames. Like, great regular season, like puts on the afterburners in the regular season, racks up those points. But when it comes to game six, an elimination game, he kind of disappears a little bit. So for the, for this team to kind of rally around, um, obviously uh, one thing I was looking up, because I wanted to like make sure I, I had a good sense of the Dallas Stars roster. I keep myself relatively up to date. But obviously like uh, the Dallas Stars, before they entered the bubble, they've lost both Martin Hansel and Roman Polak. So, so those are two guys that have left didn't even join the bubble good riddance overseas in, in yeah. my, in like, <laughs> like listen i i said forever even at the beginning of the season the less games because at the beginning of the season roman Polak was on our starting night roster against the boston bruins game one <laughs> roman Polak yeah. was starting and i said from game one the less games roman Polak gets into this year the better we are as a hockey team so yeah obviously um, de yeah, definitely. And Hansel's struggled with no end of injuries since he came to, to Dallas. So that obviously hasn't helped him with the money that he was being paid. However, those are two experienced veteran guys. So yeah, they're not the best on the ice. They're certainly not the players that they used to be, but they can add that kind of veteran voice in the, in the locker room and kind of help the younger guys. Cause I mean, the Dallas stars are a pretty, they're a pretty decent roster in terms of their, their age groups. I mean, You've got a couple of guys that are sort of uh, mid to late 20s in the prime of their careers on the back end. You've got some relatively young guys uh, in the forward course sort of early 20s. Those guys would, could benefit from extra voices like Hansel and Polak in the locker room. Now, it's not to say that the Stars don't already have a stacked group of veteran guys. Like, obviously, they've got a very strong team. They're two to one up on the Colorado Avalanche. Like, give, give credit where credit is due. 
Um, yeah, but I mean, the Colorado Avalanche, they just look like stacked and ready to go this year. And the fact that the Stars have kind of got the jump on them early and managed to take the 2-1 to one series lead, I mean, the, the, the next game, was a game four, is going to be the most important of the series. If they, if they win, they go up 3-1. to one, And you're, you're going up against a team that was kind of considered to be one of the favorites to win the cup, especially from the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. And you've got the opportunity to knock them out of the playoffs and go through to the conference finals. So that must be a good feeling for the Stars players, definitely. Yeah, listen, I was not expecting, especially after it's, it's, it's funny that you draw a comparison to the stars uh, when, you, when you brought up Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, mm. I, I talked to uh, Brad from the Flames Unfiltered podcast twice in a row. Um, I had a midweek episode this last week come out with him, and he's pretty frustrated with Gaudreau for those reasons of, of not coming in. And we thought, even me and him agreed, that the stars and Flames played and have quite similar teams w- when you look at it. Mm. But, I mean, you, you've sort of already started cracking into the Dallas Stars and their, their roster, which is a great segue for me. So, I mean, <laughs> if, if we want to look at these Dallas Stars, so I, I've got up right now their roster on NHL. And, I, and if I take out Pollock and Hansel, right now there are 15 North American players on the Stars, 10 Canadian, five from the United States, two Russian, two Sweden, four from Finland, one from the Czech Republic, one from Slovakia, and one from Kazakhstan. So that puts us at 15 North American skaters and 11 uh, European skaters, if I do my math there right. But the ones that I want to talk about, and it seems to always be, you see in Victor Hedman, we have John Klingberg and Mira Heiskanen. What is it with Finland and Sweden just pumping out elite, elite defensemen? Because it's been like that forever. And I just want to know if maybe you got a better insight on what's up with that. I mean, I'm, I'm not the most keyed up with the Finnish Liga or the Swedish Hockey League. Um, the fact that I'm now doing this, uh, the Europuck podcast on the network, has given me a bit of an excuse to kind of delve a little bit deeper into it. But I, I've got to say, I think the biggest reason for it is because they're playing against men. They're playing against guys that are either prime players. Or, I mean, the Finnish Liga and the, the Swedish Hockey League, my co-host of the Europuck podcast and I, Uh, towards the end of our first episode, we sat there and ranked our top 10 European leagues. The Swedish Hockey League was second, the Finnish Liga was third. We only put the KHL above them, the Russian KHL, which obviously uh, Alexander Radulov came from, who is a fantastic player. I love Alexander Radulov. He is the most Russian person you could possibly find. He really is. It's kind of him and Alexander Ovechkin are Mm -hmm. like the two most Russian hockey players you could ever meet on the planet. Especially like Ovi's Cup celebration. That was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Heiskanen and and Klingberg, like the Liga and the SHL, you get former NHL players that can't quite find a space on a North American roster going over there, but are still solid players. You have um, guys from the other Finnish and Swedish players that might not necessarily get the attention in somewhere like the NHL or the AHL, or they might prefer to stay in their domestic league and kind of carve out a career uh, back home and have very successful, good careers as good hockey players. Or you're having guys that are kind of on... uh, these up-and-coming players this is where i always find the difference between uh north american players that are playing in like the canadian hockey league junior system or you know the national development program for the u.s that they're playing against players their own age so you see 120 points in 60 games and you think that's impressive but you're playing against guys that have that are you're playing against 16 to 20 year olds guys like high and klingberg were playing against mid-20, 30, late 30-year-olds, 
when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Like that, I, I feel like that's a big factor. And obviously having that experience of knowing like, okay, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get hit this hard against these players because they are like, oh, we're 27, 28, we're the peak physical fitness that we're ever going to be in our lives. And they're throwing their entire body at me. That's different from a 17, 18 year old throwing their body at you who's still growing into their body and, and kind of muscling up a little bit and trying to put on a few pounds to make themselves a bit more of a, um, a force to be reckoned with. And a, a, an example I give, because I'm a big uh, New York Rangers fan as well. Capo Kako, for example, he didn't have the best season this year. And Jack Hughes and Kirby Dak, they didn't have the most productive seasons for first, second and third round overall picks this year. However, Capo Kako, he's played, like he had a really rushed um, off season. He played in the World Championships, won a gold medal with Finland. He went to the, the draft very soon after, uh, played in the Traverse City Prospects Tournament, played NHL preseason. For an 18-year-old kid, you're going to have that like get up and go, obviously. However, like he's, he spent a lot of the time uh, before entering the bubble strengthening himself up and being like okay i know what i'm going up against now so now i need to make sure that like i put on a few more pounds or i focus more on like getting my the physical attributes of my game better because if i can fend off a player from pushing me off the puck i can then use my offensive talents that i've had since i was a kid and use them to score goals and i feel like that's what you see with guys like heiskanen and klingberg and and all of the other sort of european defensemen all those star defensemen that are coming up from Europe, uh, even over the years, like guys like Nick Lidstrom and, and people like that, like you've got some of the best defensemen and Boya Solming, if you want to go even that far back, like you've got some of the best defensemen to ever play in the NHL, Hedman nowadays, like they're, they're European guys. A lot of them have played against older players, older, more experienced, more veteran and players in their prime, which I don't think there's the same thing for for junior players over here in North America. It's not to say that one version is better than the other, but it's different. And you can kind of see how that impacts these European guys. And I, just before like, I finish up with this bit, the, the one thing I think that is important to mention, like these, these Canadian and American guys that are playing in the league that have been in the league since the very beginning, yeah, they might be moving to the other side of the continent, but they're not leaving home. You, you've got... Swedish guys, I mean, I'm f- me here in England, I'm five hours ahead of um, the East Coast in, in America and Canada. Uh, uh, Sweden and Finland are an hour ahead of me, so that's six hours difference. Say if they're playing in California or Vancouver, that's nine hours difference. So they're not exactly going to be able to get much contact back home. They're not going to be able to kind of get the opportunity to talk to their friends and their family much. So it's like, especially for those younger guys, it's a real kind of culture shock because, you know, they're coming from very sort of chilled out countries like Finland and Sweden. They're, you know, just focused on hockey. You know, they've been teenagers, you know, never really had to look after themselves potentially, just kind of like going through the motions like a lot of star OHL or, or QMJHL guys are. Then they get thrown into North America. They're almost on their own to be like, look, figure it out. You've got a couple of like representatives on the teams to kind of help them out and kind of adjust but a lot of them need to learn english as a second language in order to answer interview questions like could you imagine like uh could you imagine somebody like uh tyler sagan when he was a kid going over to russia and having to learn russian to play in the best league in the world you know like that would be a huge culture shock and it'd probably take him a little while to adjust so then how much how much like importance and i hear this a lot that oh they've got to learn how to adjust to skate on the north american ice compared to the bigger international ice how much like is there that much of a difference because i always hear that that's 
that's such a like such a change for the skaters does that really make a difference I think the two things about that is, first of all, there are a lot of European rinks that are actually now starting to adjust to the NHL size rink, which I think is a good way to start, especially if they're wanting to fast track a lot more players over to North America, get them playing on the exact same ice surface. Uh, the Olympics are always going to do a little bit differently because, of course, they're a, they're a completely different entity from the National Hockey League. So essentially, if players want to play in the Olympics, they have to play by the Olympics rules. They've already been stopped by the NHL enough. Like, I think they're going to they're going to be just fine like dealing with slightly bigger ice surface. But with a bigger ice surface, I think what a lot of people don't realize is you have more time to make decisions. And especially if you throw, throw Miro Heiskanen when he came into the league, he was what, 19 when he joined the NHL? Yep. I'm, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure, yeah. yeah. He was 19 when he joined the NHL. He's been used to a slightly bigger ice surface where he, can, where he has more time to make decisions. And what do we know about sports and hockey in general? It's a, it's a split-second decision kind of it's game. It's fast. The so, NHL is so, so fast. Exactly. And add to that, you're playing in the National Hockey League against some of, some of, if not the greatest players of our generation that have, even so, some players that will ever play the game. And you're having, you've got like a half a second less to a second less to make a decision. As a 19, 20 year old guy, you're going to struggle to, to get going with that. You're going to struggle to kind of adjust and figure out what you need to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so that that's interesting. And so I, you're honestly, you're, you're killing these segues for me. You're, you're, you're bringing me <laughs> into my next point. So, and so now this is, this is a personal point and I don't want to take too much time on it because it's super minute and it really only benefits me, but you're talking about people that are having like had a hard time adjusting to North America and learning English as a second language. One of the people that is most interesting to me, and this is my, my inner Oilers fan showing a little bit, what is up <laughs> with Jesse Pugliarvi? That's a very interesting question. And I think the only people that will ever know the answer to that is Jesse Pugliarvi and his representatives, to be honest. Um, I, you could argue it's a very similar situation to what uh, Leas Anderson of the New York Rangers has been going through recently. Um, there was a lot of reports that he came out and kind of talked about having issues with his, his mental health and kind of not really dealing with the, the adjustment or with his role in the ho uh, in the hockey world, or being a seventh overall pick, whatever you, whatever kind of reason you want to give, uh, there was a lot of talk about him not necessarily having um, the easiest time mentally. Which, obviously, in the year 2020, you've got to take that stuff into consideration. It's not the 70s anymore, where it's like, oh, just get over it. Like, come on, get up and keep going. Like, th there, there's obviously the him throwing the silver medal and attitude problems you can make the argument obviously but at the same time like i mentioned before coming to a different country to be fair like there are i would imagine english is is learned a lot more in places like sweden and finland than it is in places like russia for example however that doesn't mean it's widespread throughout the country and obviously a guy like Jesse Pugliavi he's he struggled, but like I, I, the most important thing is he's only 22 years old. Like, yeah, he struggled with the Edmonton Oilers. I think that's just as much on the Oilers as it is on Pugliavi. I think they rushed him to the NHL before he was ready. You can see that in his numbers. I've just brought up his, uh, up his numbers on Elite Prospects here, which is a brilliant website, especially if you're looking up uh, European hockey-related stuff. They have, mm. like, Wikipedia and kind of all the other like sites are good for like North American stats, but then you get elite prospects. And they have all of it. And it's brilliant. I, I use um, it to, to t teach me how to pronounce names. 
Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, I haven't signed up for a free account yet to do that. But I feel like, especially with some of my videos that I make on YouTube, I have a lot of people telling me like, you pronounce that awfully. Like, can you sort that out? I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> but like, you look at his first season in the, in the NHL with the Oilers, right? Uh, the 16-17 season, played 28 games, scored eight points with a plus five. So yeah, not the best, but he was what, 18 at the time? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. An 18-year-old kid to score eight points in 28 games isn't too bad. He goes to the American League, 28 points in 39 games. So it's clear that he has that, he has that ability to do it, but coming in as a, what, a fourth overall pick? Yeah, fourth overall pick mm -hmm. in 2016. That's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. Like, look at guys like Jack Hughes and Capo Caco and Kirby Dak this year. I mean, they topped, they just about topped 30 points, I think, some of them. Like, that for first, second, and third overall picks, everybody's ready to call people like Jack Hughes a bust already. He was playing on the New Jersey Devils, for goodness sake. Like, yeah. they weren't a good hockey team this year, and rightfully so. They're rebuilding. Like, you don't want your team to be, to be a solid team if you're trying to strip away all your assets for the future. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt, as we've seen with the Rangers making the, making the play-in rounds this year and getting uh, the first overall pick in the draft. It helps if you get a bit of luck. But the Devils have had two first overall picks recently. So, you know, it's not as if they're not a lucky team. But then you look at his next season, a 20-point season. For a 19-year-old kid, a 20-point season in the NHL isn't bad at all. I'd give him full credit for that. Is it what people would want from him straight from the get-go? No. But, like, the Canadian hockey media is so fascinating. They love to hype players up to be the next coming of Conor McDavid. And then when they don't perform, they like to completely destroy them, which is kind of like, come on, like, he's a 19-year-old kid. Give him a chance. And when he went down to the AHL, five points in 10 games, so a point every two games. His final year so far with the Edmonton Oilers, he completely had a terrible season, uh, for want of a better word. He was a point per game in the AHL. So he moves back to the Liga this year, the Finnish Liga, as a 22-year-old, 21-year-old, 22-year-old. He scores almost a point per game, 53 points in 56 games. If you compare that with uh, his season, his draft year, 28 points in 50 games. So having played in North America and having kind of grown up a couple more years and kind of experiencing the NHL he's now a point per game in his domestic league which is not an easy thing to do in the Finnish Liga there are not many players that go a point per game in, in the Finnish Liga he scored 24 goals 53 points and he was also pretty good in the Champions Hockey League as well um, he didn't score any points there. no he did he did score some points he scored he scored went a point per game in the Champions Hockey League which is against some of the best teams in Europe which is a really good competition I think if anybody's interested in kind of getting a crash course in European hockey Keep an eye out for the Champions Hockey League in October because it's basically the best European hockey teams from each league or from the league the season prior going up against it to see who wins the title of best team in Europe. For the last like three out of the five years, it's been for under of the Swiss, uh, the Swedish league. But you know, there's some solid teams in there. So it's it's I the feel like it's, it's the Champions League of soccer for hockey, right? Yeah, it, literally, it really yeah, yeah. it pretty much is. Yeah, the only the only country that doesn't take part is Russia because they decide with the KHL they're not really that interested in taking part and they'd probably sweep the competition pretty much every year anyway so they'd basically just replace the Swedish Hockey League as the consistent winners year after year but yeah with, with Jesse Pugliavi it's, it's an interesting situation he said that there is the potential for him to come back obviously they've cleaned house with the general manager they've got a new coach in since he was drafted so Never say never. I mean, he's currently contracted to play for Carpat back in the Finnish Liga again this year, where he's looking like he may be an alternate captain of the team. So maybe, maybe he spends another year there, then he, then he tries again. Maybe moves overseas, see if he can get it done. I mean, 
Um, I'm just looking at his awards. Yeah, uh, it was 1516. He won um, a championship in the Finnish Liga. So he got like third place. Their team got third place in the league. So like he knows how to play good hockey. You just got to give some of these European prospects a little bit of time. Obviously, that doesn't help being the fourth overall pick. But, you know, like throwing him into the NHL and as an 18-year-old, look at all the 18-year-olds that come into the NHL at that young of an age. And other than like the generational talents, you're going to see those growing pains, you know? Well, I, I hope to see him back. He, he, I, I thought he was a lot of fun when he came into the league. But my last question for you here is who, are, who should be on our radar? As North American fans, obviously, I don't follow a ton of European hockey until closer to the draft because that's sort of obviously when things start to get exciting and that sort of stuff or when free agents start getting signed. But who should be on our radar now that's over in Europe that, that's going to make a big splash in the NHL? I'm going I'm to kind of cheat here and go for a couple of guys that joined their teams for the bubble. Okay. Um, and the first off being Kirill Kaprizov or Kaprizov, however you want to call him, uh, for the Minnesota Wild and Ilya Sorokin for the New York Islanders. When I say that these two are very, very talented hockey players, I don't say that lightly. Uh, I mean, Kirill, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, Kaprizov, whatever you want to call him, he was the third highest scorer in the KHL last season, 62 points in 57 games. He was the highest goal scorer with a 33-goal season. He was with a very stacked CSKA Moscow team, which they won the Gagarin Cup as uh, playoff champions of the KHL um, in 2019. The, uh, the 2020 uh, playoffs was obviously cancelled in the second round due to the COVID pandemic. Although the KHL season is starting up again in about four days. So keep an eye out for some guys there. There's a lot of good prospects in SK St. Petersburg, which is the KHL team that I follow. Um, you've got Podkolzin for the Vancouver Canucks. You've got um, Marchenko, which I think is for the Columbus Blue Jackets, but don't quote me on that. I can't quite remember. And then there's one other guy, I think it's Morozov for the Vegas Golden Knights. They might be switched over. I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but there is a lot of very, very good prospects coming out of the KHL. You've also got Askarov, which is in the, uh, he's in the KHL system, uh, in the SK St. Petersburg system. He's looking like he's going to be a top 10 pick in this year's draft. Like, how often do you see a goaltender go in the top 10 of the NHL draft? You don't because every single team in the world goes, goalies are a little bit too, um, they're a little bit too hit and miss. We're not going to use our premier pick on one of them, even though most of the other picks end up being busts anyway, because that's how the draft works. Not everybody's going to be a, a, a home run. And some of the other guys, like you've got Lucas Raymond, who's, who's in the draft this year uh, from Frölunda. Frölunda, they know how to churn out NHL-ready players the Swedish Hockey League in general know how to do it they've been doing Sweden's been doing it for the last 50 60 years with Borja Solming coming over you've got guys like uh Lucas Raymond you've obviously got um oh what's his name's Alexander Holtz you've got him as well um I know there's the friend of Leon Dreisaitl that's in the draft a Stutzler that's it mm -hmm. um he's looking like he's going to be a solid German player like give credit where credit is due Dreisaitl and Stutzler they are going to lead this kind of next generation of German hockey players they're kind of a league that I would put kind of halfway up my list of top 10 leagues in the world or in, in Europe, I should say. However, they know how to churn out some like top talent, like drive cycle. He's a stud. He's well, played fantastically well. Their world champion team surprises me every year with how decent they are. 
exactly. And because the, their uh, their domestic league, the DEL, the uh, the Deutsche Extra League or, or, or Ice Hockey League or something like that, the, the DEL for short, it's easier to call it that, um, they have some pretty solid players. And uh, with the British League over here, it's way down the list in terms of um, uh, European leagues. A lot of people in our own country don't know we have a professional ice hockey league, let alone anywhere else in the hockey world. But we're now starting to have some of our like local grown players find gigs in the DEL or the second tier league, the DEL too. So when we're starting to find some of the best of our best moving into these leagues, it kind of shows us, okay, we're starting to kind of catch up a little bit. Maybe some of the strides we've made within the last five, 10 years are starting to pay off a little bit. And yeah, like you mentioned, uh, the um, German uh, national team, what about Team Europe during the World Cup of Hockey? I mean, they yeah. made it all the way to the finals. Like, and that's made of guys from Sweden, Finland, Slovakia, Slovenia, Germany, Switzerland. You know, like that's a mishmash of players from different countries who speak different languages. It's not as easy as Team North America where they all speak the same language just with a slightly different accent. Mm-hmm. And they managed to make it all the way to the final because, you know, give European hockey players one thing. They are hardworking players. They will go into the corners. They will do the work that a team requires and they will usually get the job done for you. So absolutely. Yeah. I never understood the the mentality of, you know, that like that, that old Don Cherry kind of thinking of your, I don't want any European players on my team. Like I listen, Datsuk was one of my, is, is one of my favorite hockey players of all time. Me too. Like, Me like, too. like, like, come on. Well, oh, definitely. Uh, no, go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's just like, um, like, like you mentioned, I mean, uh, we've got the Don Cherries of the world and sort of the older generation, not, not to kind of put them all into one, one group, but like some of the older, more traditional uh, general managers and hockey guys in, in the world being like, oh no, we need a good old Canadian boy lineup. Yeah. We need uh-huh. all those, those good old Canadians and a few of those Yanks as well. But like the Detroit Red Wings, like look at them in the 80s, the 90s and the 2000s. How many European players did they have on their roster? How many Stanley Cups did they win? Uh, obviously, they had guys like Eisenman. Yeah, I'm not disputing that. You need a good mix of both is what I'm saying. But if you just go for one or the other, you're just setting yourself up for failure. And you're just, you're just kind of neglecting a huge talent pool of hockey players that, kind of calling back to earlier, have experience playing against veteran players, experience playing against professional hockey players which a lot of these good old canadian boys coming out of the draft don't have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well listen hayden it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on what uh what do you have coming up and where can we find you so um we, re- we recently on the network uh, my myself and my co-host chris we started the euro puck podcast uh, which is uh, kind of similar to the conversations we're having right now um, we talk all things European hockey on the Hockey Podcast Network. You want to know about the Russian KHL, the Swedish Hockey League, all the way down to like the French League, the Belarus League, anything like that, and uh, the World Championships, the Continental Cup, the Champions Hockey League. Basically, we want to talk about anything and everything. We're being very much led on um, audience interaction, kind of giving us topics to discuss. Um, you can find we release our episodes every Friday. Um, the first episode just went out this past Friday, so yesterday as we're recording this. I listened so if to you're it. Interested... It's, it's very good. I, I, highly oh, thank suggest, you. I highly suggest everyone go and listen to it, especially if you're interested in uh, that European stuff. They are they are killing it, and you are braver than I to even attempt to pronounce that many names. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, uh, luckily with the sort of YouTube videos I make, I've kind of got a bit of an understanding because I've had to repeat a lot of them 
many times. But yeah, there, there's some league, some teams in like those lower tier leagues that we we just had no hope. So uh, Chris, my co-host, sent me an email yesterday, being like, I've actually gone through and made a pronunciation list for every single team in every single league because he's like working from home and he's so bored i'm like you know what i'm not going to complain that you've done that for me like thank you i'm going to need it um whether i'll actually use it or not i guess we'll have to wait and see but um yeah i mean you can find us on twitter at euro puck podcast um we're we're very like we're, we're a very new podcast so where there might be a few little technical things that we might need to iron out or still trying to figure out the kind of rhythm that we're going to go for. But uh, the good thing is um, also that I should mention, um, we're, we're available to listen to on YouTube as well. And uh, just type in the Europark podcast, you'll find us. And the good thing about that is we're actually releasing bonus content that we kind of take out of the massive recordings that we do every week from these episodes and upload them during the week. So we give people constant content to kind of go and watch. We've got uh, one coming up this week where we're talking about the um, Latvia and the IIHF World Championships for next year. There's been some rumours that they might want to to find because they're co-hosting it with Belarus. So, and we, there's been a lot of political upheaval in Belarus recently. So they've kind of been like, could we maybe find another co-host for us? Um, Latvian hockey fans, they are a die-hard group of fans. I'll give them credit there. The Latvians love their hockey. Um, and the other one, I can't remember off the top of my head now, it was the fact that we talk about the British Elite League um, is our other bonus video this week because we're fully expecting due to the coronavirus pandemic that the British Elite League probably isn't going to run this year because the money's simply not there. Um, the government, the British government here would probably want us to run with kind of 30% capacity, but with our league, we our teams can't make a profit unless we run with 80% capacity. And we have players that are part-time. They do other jobs in the off-season, you know? So so it's one of those situations where it sucks as a British hockey fan to see our league maybe be one of the only leagues in Europe that doesn't get started again. But if that means that we can secure the long-term health of the league, which has gone through a lot of turmoil sort of over the last few decades with new leagues coming in and new teams, then they find out it's too expensive and they can't sustain themselves. They have to bow out. If we can secure the sort of long-term financial security of our league then that's the most important thing so yeah bonus videos all of that stuff we're very active on twitter so go and follow us on there we're trying to keep especially europeans everywhere and uh, a lot of the viewers from the podcast network in north america trying to keep you up to date with the interesting and the and the fun and the exciting and the really important european news so yeah basically everything european hockey if you're interested in it come and check us out well, I definitely am, and I hope that the listeners are. And I appreciate you coming on and talking about it. Like I said, the Stars have a ton of uh, European players on their team, and it's awesome to just get different perspectives on hockey. So uh, we appreciate you uh, coming on and talking to us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And there you guys have it. Big thanks to Hayden again for coming on the show to talk to us because there is a big time difference between him over there in Britain and us over here in the States. So I'm glad we were able to find a nice sweet spot to make that work and for him coming on and talking to us. That was really, really long. And I appreciate you guys for sticking around and listening because I know this episode is already running a little long. Uh, some quick rundown just from around the league. Vegas and Vancouver at the time I'm recording this are tied at one. Tampa and Boston have just finished playing. So Tampa is now up three to one on Boston and Philly and New York are tied at one. That is just a quick look at the league. 
the Dallas Stars take on the Colorado Avalanche in Game 4 tomorrow night. But I guess by the time you guys are listening to this, yesterday night uh, on Sunday. So be sure to look out for next episode when I will be breaking down Game 4 and the rest of the series. Because the series will be over by next episode. So hopefully the Dallas Stars have advanced. Go Stars, go. I will talk to you cowpokes in the next episode. (laughs) 